Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 299 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we are once again talking World Cup mountain biking from Lenzerheide. It's the second round of the UCI World Cup mountain bike. We're talking about short track. We're talking about a huge day in XCO racing. And then also we get into a little bit about downhill. We had so much to talk about. We didn't even talk about uh, Flukiger's awkward interview after uh, Nino set the record. It was amazing. Go back and watch that. It's 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 worth the, the coverage all on its own. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I'm going to tell you about the Hammerhead Crew 2. And if you've listened to the show before, you've heard my spiels about how great the crew 2 is if you've listened to grodio you've heard amanda and dave sheet go into a lot of detail about all the stuff that the the crew 2 can do for you as a bike computer uh, i'm going to keep it really short and and this is what i'm going to tell you is that right now the crew 2 is on sale it, it's 259 dollars that's like hundred dollars off of, of or more of its uh, normal price and on top of that and I just I just did this to make sure it's going to work on top of that you can still get the heart rate monitor for free so that's another sixty four dollars that you're saving right there uh, and all, all you need to do is put in the code CX radio CX radio into the discount code after you add the crew to and the heart rate monitor to your cart check out at cx radio to the discount code and you're saving a ton of money here this is the time to do it so if you've heard these ads and you've been like ah, maybe i'll do it maybe i won't maybe i'll wait a little longer now's the time because that thing's on sale the discount code still works go to hammerhead.io Put the Hammerhead Crew 2 into your cart. Put the Hammerhead Heart Rate Monitor into your cart where it says discount code. Type in CXRADIO, CX Radio. Check out. Come back and thank me for all of that. Finally, head over to WideAnglePodium.com, your home of independent cycling media we have a whole host of other cycling related podcasts over there and we'd love for you to become a member of the network if you hit the donate button at wineanglepodium.com you can help support this show you can donate uh, one time or what we'd love for you to do is just give a small amount monthly and once you decide to do that you will be asked which shows you want to support on the network really hope that you will choose cyclocross radio as one or the only show uh in the network that you support wideanglepodium.com okay it's episode 299 of cyclocross radio we got elizabeth and Zach, we're talking about mountain biking at Lenzerheide, across country, short track, downhill, Nino Scherter setting records, and we're doing all of it right now. We're back in the media pit uh, talking about mountain biking once again, second round of the World Cup that uh, is was in Lenzerheide, and this time we get downhill 
XCC and XCO all all in the same spot. We got some, uh, I'd say some some pretty important racing to talk about in this. Uh, we got um, Zach is back here, and also uh, Elizabeth. Um, how are y'all doing, Elizabeth? What's going on? Oh, you know, so this was really fun race to watch uh, in particular because last year I was there in person. So reliving watching Lenzerheide and, you know, to just start right with the spoiler, the the legendary record that we were hoping would get broken last year when we were there in person that ended in the disappointment of 40,000 super sad Swiss fans just emptying out and there being no after party. Um, this year we got the party, uh, and, and we got some pretty darn good racing out of the Swiss Alps. Yeah. So hopefully that's not, you know, a, a surprise to anybody. Maybe it is. If you don't follow mountain biking, Nino Scherter has been waiting a couple seasons for this for this win to break. He was tied with Julian Absalon for years for the most uh, um, World Cup wins ever, and uh, finally finally broke through. So that was uh, cool to see. But let's uh, let's start with the short race, short track. All right, Zach, I'm going. To, Zach, you are you are a cor- you are a course expert now. <laughs> What did you think about the talk? Talk me through the lens or high to track. And what did, what did you think about it? Uh, I mean, I think I've gotten to the point that I just enjoy short track racing. Uh, I mean, right, right. What it was one climb, but it actually had like legitimate descents as we'll get to when we talk to about the women's race that, you know, it wasn't super short. There was a nice broody section uh, on the descent, but they were, they were long enough, you know, that, they could be decisive that like you could make moves uh, on them. So I thought that that was pretty neat. And yeah, it seems like things were a little bit strung out. It wasn't the, you know, 74 riders at the front, like we had at Nova Mesto, but you know, again, that makes it really tactical and really important to be up near the front. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed both races. I thought they were super enjoyable, even if, you know, one of them wasn't necessarily a sprint finish, it was still like super dynamic. And again, like very tactical in a very interesting way that the elite women's race was won. Yeah. So Elizabeth, just, uh, just quickly, you know, uh, Zach mentioned that root section. I think the, the nice thing is that we now sort of get a, a preview of some of the U 23 racing and kind of got a little foreshadowing. Actually, it wasn't even foreshadowing, but just the, the probability of the carnage that can happen in that, that root section. Yeah, and that was something actually I was I was going to say there's something there's sort of a sneaky technical nature to the Lenzo had a short track course and again like you know having seen it in person it's how fast they're hitting this root section that's what makes it technical that what is what makes it difficult it's got a pretty significant camber to it uh so you're you're going quite fast between two more open sections and then hitting a really sharp turn coming out of it as well. And there's, it is like, I I feel like it's a, you know, and the roots are slick um, even, and potentially, especially when dry, 
um, which they were, they, they are polished. This is the bottom of a big mountain bike park. A lot of riders go through here. Uh, and between it being off camber and rooted and the speed, um, this is sketchy. <laughs> uh, and so I think, you know, seeing how that plays out um, is, at, or how that factors in, it's not like this is, you know, to go back to our sort of like, oh, this is a dirt crit analogy, like this part definitely isn't. Uh, this section of the course definitely isn't. Um, so, I, and I, I think, you know, there's, there, there's a couple turns as well that I think in the men's race play out um, in in different ways in terms of their sketchiness. Um, but I think the the technical nature of of some of the sections on this is not to be underrated, even if it doesn't look big on TV. For example, it's it's definitely difficult. Yeah. Before we get into the actual racing, Zach, we were talking last week about the not last week, last race about the introduction of the new pit. Uh, lines and pit rules. I, well, we're, we're not sure what the rules are, but at least that the pit configuration is different. The tech zone, uh, a little learning curve for for some mechanics in there, especially uh, um, with with Blevins going through there one lap. I, I think what we learned is that um, it's still just a racing lane. Uh, is it a passing lane? I mean, I feel like it's kind of, I mean, it was on the right, I think, but it's in America. We pass on the left and it was like a separated, I mean, how long do you think until they make a rule that, you know, if you go in there that you have to take, but it's different because you can go through there just to take a feed. Um, but it just seemed like it was the wild, wild west. And was it, I, especially in the men's race, it, it played the biggest role, but was it like Nino who went first and then some other rider, was it? Okay, someone else did, but someone did it, and they were like, "Oh, that's a really good idea." And then riders were like, "I'm just going to keep doing that." I think it was Chris Blevins that did it first because I think he did it on the first lap. Yeah, um, he did it, and that's what I'm saying. There was there's the the fencing that goes down the middle, and everybody's watching the group, and there was some guy like filming it on his some team um, crew guy who was filming it on his phone and then he just took a step back because everybody's on the other side of the fence not realizing that Blevins was coming up the the the, the pit lane behind him and it was almost just like lights out so I was going to ask Bill if, if you knew the rule here because the commentators seemed to imply during the cross-country race that it was okay to go through and not take a feed during short track but not during the Olympic distance race do you know if that's right I, they also said that you can't take any feeds during the during the short track, which I don't think is correct because all those guys were there. They wouldn't have allowed anybody in that area, I don't think. If that, especially in Switzerland, they're very serious about their rules. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I need to do a little more research on there, but also. It seemed like people were using that that lane without getting a feed as well. I think Nino yeah. Nino went through there a couple times just using the lane without getting anything, especially I think last lap. Of, and talk about the cross country race. Yeah, I like this. I mean, I like that this has introduced uh, you know uh, some ambiguity and that we're all trying to to figure out how it works. And I guess I'm just looking forward. I mean, it's, it's mean to say that, but I think at some point something is going to happen. Like if Chris Blevins had ran into the guy filming or something is going to occur, that's going to be controversial. And then they will be like, Oh, we should probably fix that rule. 
knowing the UCI, somehow it'll just end up on the website with a bunch of red ink mid-season or whatever. Like, it's going to take Jurgen Medipay uh, complaining about Lars Vanderhaar putting a foot down, and then and then all the rules are going to change. That's 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 the moment. Whatever the whatever the uh, yeah the mountain bike version of that. That's what's going to take it for the. Who change. is the mountain bike version of the Sauce Boss? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the personalities, like, aside from, like, Frishy, like, the team director personalities are just not anywhere near the cross-team director personalities. Bart? What about Bart? Maybe it's Bart. (laughs) Okay. Before we start recording, women's elite race, um, Jenny Rizvids wins, and I think her, she kind of, like, put this on blast last season. I forget which race it was. She was basically like, I'm just going to go out as hard as I can, I think is her, her short track tactic. And it doesn't always work, but seemed to be successful here. Yeah. And she attacked on a downhill too, which was pretty cool. Uh, I I mean, they kind of let Laura Steger drag the field around for a few laps. Like, okay, so you flex that you're the short track queen. So Let's let you let, – let's Luca Schwartzbauer you. We'll make you pull for a while and, and see what happens. Um, but, you know, I think we didn't really get the moment of the attack from Jenny because there wasn't good camera coverage of it. But suddenly at the bottom of the downhill, here she's got a pretty significant gap. And that's a pretty baller move to do in a short track race, and I love it. Yeah, I, I guess one thing – the first part is, you know, in the first race, Laura Steger played it perfectly. Like her tactics were supreme because she just sat in and then made her move. And it was really interesting to then have the next race where she had done so well sitting in and, you know, playing it perfectly. She's like, I'm going to sit on the front uh, and just do the complete opposite. So I don't know. I mean, there's right. The speculation about the spec, the specialized short track team. So maybe that's just kind of like she drew the short straw, like, and maybe they were racing for, for Cena Fry in that race. And it was like, you're going to go on the front. Sorry, you got your win or whatever. So maybe that's, there's some of that going on, but I found it really interesting. And yeah, to your Elizabeth point, I was kind of alluding it too early. Like how often do you attack on a downhill? Like how often does that happen? That was like, that was really cool. That was awesome. Awesome to see. And then, you know, she, and she did a really good job too, going all in on that start finish straight to really expand it, you know, cause like you said, it was, it was a sizable gap, but like, then she just turned it on and it was like, no one responded. It was like, Oh, Oh, she might be in good shape here. Well, I like to, she wasn't shy at the end of the race in her interview talking about that. She's like, I saw that I was faster than anybody else through that root section, through that, through that descent. So I wanted to be on the front and I thought I could take advantage of that. And, 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 you know, perfect plan. Yeah, it was great. And I think, you know, Keller tried to close it down. Pauline puck, not helping. Uh, and, and it just didn't work. And I think, I mean, I think that's like, you see people try to attack on a downhill. I mean, I've tried it, but it doesn't work. <laughs> you feel good for like two seconds and then you're like, crap, that didn't work. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was good to see. And I think, you know, it just also just nice to see you know, Jenny in in general is uh, a fun racer to watch have a win. And so, yeah, that was nice. I think it was also, you know, the other other notable one was that uh, Gwendolyn Gibson looked in better form um, for this short track race and got herself a front row start for Sunday. 
Yeah, that was a nice result. I thought it was interesting too. It, it's just watching Puck in there is just just fascinating because I think that I mean she's such a I mean superhuman bike racer and has amazing skills, but I, I'm I, I have no place saying that she her her skills still have room for improvement but at she's not at the level of some of the handling of the other people you could see her struggling with that root section struggling with kind of picking her line still finished fourth in there still is amongst the best in the world but it's just i i think what you see is the potential for what what she may be able to do going forward yeah, it's just kind of wild how it's like, oh, we just take it for granted that she's up there now. I mean, the same thing happened in the XCO race. And it's just kind of, it's a, I mean, development is just such a fascinating thing. Like, you know, she wasn't winning the races last year. And now she's like in the conversation for one of the top five elite women mountain bike racers in the world. So it's just wild how, you know, development works and how riders can develop. And I'm sure there's some sort of commentary on uh, just the way that we develop here in North America, riders and giving them a shot. So, yeah. So, uh, Rizved wins, uh, Alexander Keller second, uh, PFP uh, in third, Puck in fourth, and then Ann, Ann Tauber in fifth. Anything else on this? I know we're rushing through this, but any anything else uh, to really? Well, they were mention? saying. I know that Risveds won the short track there last year, and they were saying, "Did she win it?" I can't. I was looking at Wikipedia. Did she win it there in 2021 as well? So it seems like it's a course that she clearly has dialed in, and like you said, she knows her spots and is able to pick them super well and race really well there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good showing from Ann Tauber too, and you know, something especially combined also with her Sunday result and you know and also her showing at Nova Mesto this is somebody who'd been good several years ago and then has had a few seasons where she hasn't really been in the top 10 as often like maybe sometimes but you know was really a top five contender like four or five years ago maybe six years ago and so it's cool to see her back I also am digging the Orbea kit I don't know just looks good (laughs) Moving over to the men. Uh, interesting race, but still Luca Schwartzbauer. I, I mean, you could say, like we were talking about him sort of getting played in in uh, Nova Mesto, which if you look at the guy, that seems like it would be more of a course built for him. But I don't know, that kind of turning into the Leroy Jenkins of uh, of short track racing. He is, it seems suited for him. I, I, I don't know. I just, the thing that that's wild to me is that we're like, this is a big dude and he's a big dude. And if you saw him, you'd be like, wow, that's one of the small, it's, it's just funny how that works. I think the same thing is with Lawrence Sweck, you know, his big broad shoulders and you see him, you're like, that guy's tiny. Yeah. Um, but Hey, yeah, he has this, he has this thing. And I mean, he was able to play it right. And I might be mistaken, but I swear he also attacked up the, in the last lap to, cause he was kind of stuck back and he may have made an attack. Someone did to kind of like pick up a spot. And then he was just like, yeah, this finish, it's not short. It's long. It's dragged out. And he's like, you know, you know what I'm really good at? Like I'm going to get on the front. I'm just going to like totally beast mode it. And yeah, I mean, it was pulled away. It was like super impressive. Yeah. That's a really good point. Cause that's the change from Nova Mesto that 
they took away his strength basically because they shortened that that finishing stretch by so much and and they there's such a long runway here to go back to your point about you know just the perspective of how large we think people and i know i know i've told this story before but the one that always sticks out for me is the uh cyclocross worlds in czech republic which we're going back to again this year but tabor when when uh ailey Ezerbeet was a junior and he had this giant chasing him down. This guy that was just like enormous behind him, just like towering over him. And it was Simon Andreasen. And if you saw Simon Andreasen, he's not a large man. So no. that was, that, that, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this dude is huge. And just, yeah, perspective. Yeah. So I, I mean, I interviewed Luca last year when I was in Lanzarote and like, he definitely has like, he has broad shoulders. He's got kind of like swimmer's shoulders. He's got a bigger torso. He's not a tall man. Uh, and, you know, is he bigger than several of the other people there? Yes, but they are tiny. I think one thing that was cool too was to see how much it meant to him, mm-hmm. like winning that race and his celebration, you know, because like for the last couple of years, he's been really knocking at the door. You know, we talked about last week that he really was able to go deeper in the race in the XCO race at, at Nova Mesto. And he kind of was making a name for himself in the short track races. Uh, so it was really cool, cool to see and, you know, see him celebrate with, I was his family or whatever. It was like, it's like, oh, that's really cool. It's really neat that 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 means a lot. And it just remi- remember reminds me of like when Gwendolyn Gibson won the short track race at Snowshoe last year. It's like, oh, that's really cool. It's like this is becoming an important discipline. And yeah, there are specialists, and it's cool that you know if you're still kind of working your way up, or if you have something that limits you in the XCO race, you can become an XCC specialist and potentially even get a world championship. So cool that it's more than just. Right. Cause I feel like Elizabeth, maybe four years ago, it was like, oh, we have to do this absolutely. for qualifying position. And now we've got like short track specialists. Yeah, absolutely. It's changed the stature of it. Like it's different. It's different. And talk about world champions. We had some world champion on world champion violence in this uh, race. Sam Gaze coming around that, uh, that asphalt turn and just getting it completely wrong. Now, I, I watched it a couple. I mean, just washing out his front front wheel losing all traction and uh taking nino scherter out with him which you know, thankfully both of them fine but could have been a really scary moment and just you know uh, could have made the weekend completely different than what we saw yeah and i mean then to recover from that uh you know, nino gets back up pretty quickly sam gaze takes a little bit longer and yet Gaze comes back and finishes two spots ahead of Nino. I mean, that's, and they were off the back. So that was, that was pretty impressive. That was some foreshadowing just to the, to, to Sunday that Sam Gaze is on some form. Yes. Cause he kind of, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't have the cleanest race on Sunday either yet was just fighting back the whole time until the, until the wheels came off. Good race for Sebastian Carson Finney. Uh, you know, another rider, I mean, kind of similar to Anna Tauber, somebody who had had a lot of promise, kind of faded into maybe not being uh, part of the conversation and then had a really good race. So, you know, who knows if it's it's a one off or, or more to come there. But uh, that was pretty cool to see, too. And Lars Forster is having a good season. Yeah, he is. Which is um, c- cool to see. Uh, let's see. Luca Bredo, fourth place. 
Joshua Dubow, sort of our um, standout performance in uh, Nova Mesto or one of them, uh, you know, keeping it going with a fifth place in that race. Should we move on to some uh, cross country racing? Let's start with, uh, let's start with this women's race. Well, first, um, since you were there, Elizabeth, last year, I, were, were these, were the changes to the course, they're this year, right? Like, like taking out the, the kind of the rhythm section after the finish line, that whole section and, and not going up the super long, um, uh, uh, paved road but going on you know cutting off onto that dirt and then that gravel turn that's new this year right so some of it i was having a hard time piecing together just how much because it didn't look all that different to me than last year um i think there was you know some of that climb was different but it was still you know the 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 top of it was the same as it was last year um and and i i think like, I, I was having a hard time piecing together just how different it was because it didn't look that different to me. Um, I think partly because, um, you know, our video coverage is uh, maybe missing some spots, had some coverage from spots that were hard to get to actually in person. So, like, there were some things, you know... I, the drones stayed a long time in a section of the course where there was some drama during the men's race last year, for example. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't, the course, I wouldn't call the course significantly different. Yeah. I, but, but I do think it, so in previous years before the last couple, I, I think this is when it changed is there is that paved access road after the finish line that cuts off to the left. And you used to just ride up that road, up that climb. And it was a three minute, four minute climb where you're just, you would have these groups, you know, people would put in attacks, but it was just like straight on, you know, power climb, long, long climb. Now there's some elevation change. There's some, there's some, uh, switchbacks in there that I think really benefit the, the, the course and make it a much more dynamic and exciting, uh, um, track, especially going just to single track right after the finish line where it used to be four or five wide. Yeah. And this did last year, at least it did go up through the grass, then cut onto pavement and then go into those switchbacks. So some of that was part of last year's course as well. So one thing that uh, for the men's race, I was doing some some research of a couple things. Uh, I was doing some research and looking back and didn't they? So like it has a great bowl at the finish or a great wall of fans, but didn't they this year cut across? Cause the crowd just looks smaller to me. Like just generally speaking, the crowd looks smaller. I mean, Elizabeth, you were there. I was watching the, the video from last year. I was like, Oh my gosh. But like they cut across like this part of the stadium. But then I saw, um, uh, Bartek Lewinsky had a great finish photo where people were like way, way up at the finish. Cause I was like, you're cutting off part of where the, of the stadium for the cool Nino shot or whatever. But like, there were still a ton of people there. If you looked at it backed out, which I really appreciated that he chose to do that. So I don't know. It was just like, it was like a cool finish. I, I don't know if, what that added to it, but like in terms of the visuals, it was way cooler. It just seemed, 
I don't know. I, it just seemed like last year's crowd. Last year's crowd seemed more raucous given the moment. Did I miss some fans somewhere? It just seemed like something was missing. I think you're absolutely right. I think it is that change. I think it's um, the build out of the the tech zone that it was probably limiting where people could go on on that hill and part of that bowl. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's iconic photos. Think of Kate Courtney winning the world championship there. It's just like you said, a wall of people behind her. I don't think there were any less people there, but you know, what you're, what you were talking about is the downhill course. So I think people were higher up on the downhill course, looking down in it, which is cool. It's a nice way to see the finish, but it does take away the drama of just having everybody packed into that lower bowl. Yeah. And you know what I think it is, is that that line coming from the finish and making that left turn, that was in the prologue last year, but I think it wasn't in all of the rest of the laps. Um, Because I remember having to try to hop over that to get the shot I wanted and trying to get through the crowd that cuts through the bowl. But now that I think of it, I think that was only during the prologue last year, whereas this year it was in for every lap. So my other point, I want to go to, I'll just go to media corner because I think everyone wants to talk about the broadcast, but in doing my research, I had to, uh, you know, because I, I made a mistake about Rob's and I got called out and I was like, all right, I just want to make sure that my memory is serving me correctly. So I wanted to watch the end of the Brazil race in Petropolis when Nino tied, uh, the record and I was like, oh my God, Red Bull went into a friggin' jungle and in impeccable broadcast, amazing, perfect. And then you're like, you watch the the XCO race and you're like, this is a venue that's been used for like a decade in Europe. We've been here before and it was so bad. And I think to me, if you want to just be sad, just go watch them carve a course out of a jungle and broadcast it at a venue that no one's ever been to perfectly. Yeah. And at the time we were kind of like, wow, this, I mean, this coverage isn't quite like the European coverage. This course looks pretty cool. That course was cool. I think they should go back. I think that they should definitely go back. Like that was a neat course. I thought it was a really cool course in a jungle or whatever, but. Yeah, I, I, I was, there's, there's a lot going on here and hopefully they'll iron out some of the, the issues, but you know, much as I was, we did a couple of concern trolls last week with the broadcast. One of them that I brought up was the drones. I think that they're, they are really relying on the drones and it's, it's twofold. They're relying on the bird's eye drone just to pick up missed coverage, just to, to show you ants going along there. Uh, and, and then they have this new toy with the FPV drone that I think a, the resolution isn't the same as what Red Bull's FPV drones were that they were using in the downhill, which was just, I mean, like 4K and crystal clear. This looked kind of like tech from 10 years ago. And, but, but even more than that, I had an issue with the, with the direction. And one of the main things was they would stay on the drone shot while the drone pilot hunted for the race. And it just looked so bad. I mean, that happened almost lap after lap. And it's like, we always want to see people further down. Show me somebody else. Show me 10th or 12th place. It's okay. 
uh, instead of just showing me a drone pilot trying to figure out where the leaders are. Well, and I can't even imagine, I mean, especially, you know, you saying that, you know, the racer's looking like ants. Like, we're all huge nerds here. We know what their kits look like. We know what colors of helmets to look for. If you're just getting into this, like, this has got to be extremely hard to follow. And, you know, combine that with the graphics. And, you know, I think that's just like... It's a bummer to miss that. It's additionally, of course, even if you do know what's going on and what to look for and you can squint for the color of kit, it's a bummer to miss the emotion that you get out of, uh, you know, a big ass lens zoomed in on somebody's face and seeing like, are they stressed out or are they calm right now? What can what are we missing from being able to read the race that you're just never going to get from a drone shot? Um, and you know, I think that's that's a it's it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the drone shot for gap checks. You know, that's that's what we like. If we see a group, we see a chaser. You want to, that's a that's such an amazing view of seeing just how far they've either caught up or dropped back. Amazing, show that to me. I'm not getting that kind of perspective just from a from a front-facing camera but then go away <laughs> and then show me the rest of the race yeah elizabeth you're i mean you're 100 right i think during cyclocross season we accepted it we're like all right not ideal but we have a live stream of american cyclocross like could be better we'll take it but like this is mountain biking this is one of the most wealthy or there's money rich disciplines in the sport of cycling. There's a lot of money of it. And, you know, I mean, they have the unfortunate reality that they followed the best. I mean, among, you know, just impeccable, perfect broadcasting of races, perfect direction. I mean, I have tons of complaints about their direction, whoever's doing the production of this. I mean, you know, they don't know what they're watching. The elite men's race, we got 30 seconds of a guy in 20th crashing and they missed the winning move of the guy setting the world cup all time win record for slow-mos of a guy. Like what's that for? So I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys a hundred percent and I think, yeah, your concern trolling was unfortunately you, I think both of you rightfully so were kind of like uh, joking about the useless slow-mos last week and that's kind of it. Like, there's no context. It's like, hey, cool. We got, you know, 240 frames per second or whatever on this camera. Let's do it. Let's show it. And you're like, I don't, is somebody going to crash? What's going on? What's the significance of this? It's like, oh, no, it just sort of looks cool when they're coming down here. Who's that for? Like, who, who, I mean, most of the people, honestly, that are watching it are just giant nerds. Like, we're mountain bike nerds. Like, we want to see the race, like Elizabeth said. Like, it's not, you're not bringing in, there's not casual fans being like, wow, that's really neat. I want to go watch a mountain bike race because look at those tires spin or whatever. I just, who's it for? Well, because you have to pay for the coverage too. It's not like you can just go to, you know, Red Bull anymore and just like plop it on and go, oh, well, you know, I follow Red Bull for, because I'm into like squirrels jumping out of airplanes. Um, it, and maybe this looks cool too, but I mean, nobody's doing that now. You got to have like a GCN subscription if you live in the U.S. to to watch it. So, can I say one positive thing? Yes, please. They did hear us. There was there was the tracker of like the top ten. It wasn't just the lead group or the lead two or three or whatever that weren't in a group. They had they had the top ten. I mean, yeah, in the short track race, they did all of them. 
They did all of them every lap. So kudos to them. So, I mean, at least they had that, that you had uh, a little bit, you know, you guys were talking about, and I'll let you guys talk about the production of kind of missing the battles for second, but you kind of saw that there was a battle for second, at least because they were at least showing more people's times. So kudos on that. What do you think about the, the, the split up to chase groups, Elizabeth? It seems sort of roadyish. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it. Um, but Zach, you know, to your point, I did notice that too. I was like, okay, they've taken one piece of feedback and improved a little bit here. I I think it my my take up on the sort of like the the splits or the chase groups or things like that also kind of falls into the same like I'm not sure that this production team are really mountain bike steeped in mountain biking and understanding it yet um hopefully they find some people who help advise them a little bit better on like how to make those decisions how to make those production calls um how to get that storyline because it's different it's different than shooting and producing and putting graphics up for a road race it's different than doing it for a cyclocross race um and you know what that storytelling element is i think is you know, it's not to be discounted how important that is as part of production. It's not just about having good camera operators uh, and a good graphics package. Like there is there's more to it than that. And you've got to have somebody who really knows their stuff and really understands the sport to be making those calls and to be advising like, you know what? we do need some like useless slow-mo in here to patch through something for a second. Like, and then we really need to cut away from it. Uh, and because it's not like Red Bull didn't put some of that stuff in, but it, it didn't miss the important things. Like it was rare for Red Bull to miss something. Case in point, last year's Lenzerheide men's race, they missed the important thing. So I can't stand here and like, you know, be all sort of self-righteous, like Red Bull did everything perfectly um, because they didn't. They couldn't, but they understood storytelling and they understood missing that moment was like, oh, shit, what happened? Which was what the entire Swiss crowd there was thinking, too. Maybe it's maybe it's a little better. It adds to the the mythology and and. I can't do Rob just being like, what? <laughs> do you notice that Bart does that now? Yeah. Really? Bart, got, Bart, got, Bart, ha, Bart had a couple of, oh, I'm like, oh, he's, uh, he's channeling some Rob. Uh, let's talk about that women's race. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. Elizabeth, take us through some of this race. I, I want to start with the big white rock. Uh, and actually, because this is a segue from the camera coverage, because the first shot and like, actually, we don't get any great shots of it. And this was one of the things that being there in person, I was most excited to see because despite years of watching this, I still couldn't really wrap my head around like what made this the feature that it is. Um, and so, uh, this time we get like an underhead static shot where they've put a stationary camera that gives us like even worse of an impression, except that it's like, wow, that looks kind of sketchy, but we have no idea why. So basically to describe it, like there is there's one really good line on this rock. You kind of have to cross over 
the top of it. You kind of come in on one side of the point and you exit on the other side of the point, but it's a pretty good line if you hit the right line at the speed that you want to hit this line. If the rider in front of you does something wacko uh, and you have to change your speed, this messes things up for you. Um, and if you go aside from this one good line, if you have to dab, you are dabbing into the abyss of nothingness. And then once your foot does find the ground, it's both way lower than you thought and it's slippery as hell because it's a very awkward rock that you should not put a cleat on and feel safe. Um, so I think like, and it, we see some tremendous saves thanks to the angle that we get of this rock. Um, and, and like some truly impressive uh, riding out of um, of sketchy steps or dabs into the abyss. Um, but I think that's where I wanted to start because I just think it's like kind of the wildest feature of this course. And didn't someone in the women's race have to dab like pretty hardcore in the first lap? Oh, yeah. I, I forget who it was. Who was Jenny it? Jenny does. That, okay. Um, and I forget who else, but maybe somebody else, but Jenny has like a hell of a save coming over it. Um, Nino also has a pretty wild line coming over it as well. I think. I thought that was part of the, the new beeline challenge, but it, uh, the unfortunate thing is it's hard to tell because there still was a platform. I thought he was just going into nothingness. It was like, Whoa, what is he doing? So it would have been cool. Uh, I'm glad you talked about this because I remember your great photos from last year from that feature. And it was like, I kind of wish, yeah, I kind of wish we got more of a perspective, but that my, I, I thought back to the Nino beeline challenge when he was like, like what are you doing, my guy? <laughs> yeah. The, the beelines that, you know, it's, it's, it, you have to climb out of it more, but it's not, it's not a huge penalty. The, 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 the one thing about this feature that I think, I think we're hitting on is that the the camera angle and where they were landing on the ramp i think was distorting reality like the the the, the color commentator kept being like oh my god the emo uh, that's scaring me they're almost coming off it they're not like they're, they're, those landings are perfectly safe it's just that that angle with that super wide angle lens just makes it look precarious that's not the precarious part the precarious part is if you put the camera higher up and you see them coming onto the rock coming off of it and my my story is about times that i've been there this this was the time and again um just old man here repeating stories uh but watching pauline in either 2016 or 2017 practice day she's going through that section and this is like she is she can't ride it and she is like on the side in tears refusing to even ride over this this rock this feature once no part of it is just frustrated is angry and you know her and her coach are there and just kind of like just she she just wants no part of it. And it was just this amazing transformation that like the whistle went off, the race started, and all of a sudden she just was riding it flawlessly. And I was like, how do you do that? How do you go from this to this? So that's like like that that memory of that that feature is I, I, I always come back to is just like how she was able to sort of overcome that somehow. I don't like hypnotism or something like overnight and come back and just ride it perfectly. Second quick, uh, cyclocross related story. Uh, I was there, it was a 
practice day. Everybody's out there sessioning. I see this guy uh, in these baggy jeans, hoodie, you know, like baseball cap on. And I'm thinking like some, and he, he says hi to me. And I'm like trying to figure out who this North American person is because that's just what it looks like. And uh, it was Quentin Herman's. <laughs> that's... <laughs> The most American <laughs> Belgian. Even more, yeah. that's just what I remember about Quentin was his perfect English. And it's like, are you American? Um, so I, you know, we were talking about this in the, uh, yeah, in the, in the green room. Uh, this is a race that Loana Lecomte won last year. Uh, it has one kind of like one really main climb, right? Like there is kind of the climb and it's, you know, it, it is, it's a significant climb. It's more than there really was at Nova Mesto, but it's not, not one that's super duper long. It's not, doesn't Lao gang have one that's just like insanely long forever. Yeah. So, I mean, we saw from, uh, Luana Lecomte, like, you know, at Nova Mesto, like she had a little bit of a slow start, but she was kind of like the shark that was there with the, the jaws music playing and still had a, you know, really good result finished third, I think at Nova Mesto. And this is a course that you're looking at her to win. Uh, Elizabeth, but it was like, there was a group and she was, I mean, she was asserting herself, but she wasn't necessarily, she wasn't riding away early, you know, early in the race. I think, uh, Pauline was doing a great job responding. I mean, she would put in a little bit of a dig and Pauline was like, I'm going to get right on your wheel, which I thought was some interesting game and chips. So Elizabeth, what were your thoughts on like kind of how this was, you know, that played out as we kind of get towards the middle and later parts of the race? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, again, we kind of got treated to a pretty dynamic front group uh, in the women's race. You know, we have basically by lap three, we have Alessandra Keller, Puck Peterson, Luana, PFP, and Ann Terpstra. Rizvets is kind of yo-yoing off of the back of the group uh, and, and eventually dropping off of the back of that front group. And, you know, and then there's this, you know, additional separation where you get the top three with with Keller and Peterson trailing off um, and, you know, Keller in particularly really yo-yoing. Uh, like, is she in the front group? Is she not in the front group? Is she? Oh, she's close. And I think the climb becomes one of those measures where like the French women are really given it. They're all on that climb. Um, and, and I think, you know, you see then also in that sort of five through eight range, another pretty dynamic group with some, some changes between, uh, you know, Martina Berta, who's really established herself as, uh, you know, one sort of the, in the top 10 this year and, and tapping on the door of the top five, uh, Evie Richards in there as well, um, and, you know, and I think you you get some dynamics there that are, are you know, where things are still in play for a long time. Like things are not determined um, and you don't see this kind of ride away happening. I think, you know, one of the other things that is interesting to look at in it is like this is a course with a lot of um, not just A-B lines, but A-A lines, like choose this or choose that. Um I, credit to this this camera team for having a better angle on the uh, the drop line um, after the climb, where you either take a quite sharp, quite steep 
little chicane of a drop or you have a longer line around, we get a bit of a better shot of it. Actually, the U23 race has a better shot of it than the elite women's race does. Um, the men's race is, is pretty good to see how that split uh, happens. And then I think somebody did a side-by-side of like Nino and then all the other men going through it just to see the difference in speed. Um, But I think, you know, you have a couple of other places where there isn't a significant difference speed-wise on what line you choose, but you're making a decision on choosing a line and whether to use it to try to pass. Um, And so I think that that plays out in this sort of dynamic front group racing. Um, and usually it doesn't result in a pass, but it results in in the order staying the same. But there's kind of that element of play and like maybe this is going to be an attack by using the alternate line. It, when I was watching that that front group of five and well, just to start out with Zach, is 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 Puck a dangler? I it's funny funny you bring that up. Uh one thing that I was I don't know why I noticed this, but like one of the things for the broadcast that they were like, we're gonna pair with whoop and we're gonna get the very important thing of like heart rate information. You're like, oh that's cool. Um, you know, so Puck was like, I mean, I think that would be the thing on her, right? Is like if it's like a climby technical thing, she gets dropped by femme, right? Like in cyclocross, if it's more technical, she's good to go. Um, and I, I just happened to notice that they were showing her and it was, she was hanging in there and it was after a climb and it was, I think it was through the Rudy section. Her heart rate was still insanely high. And I was like, oh, she's going to get dropped on the climax lap. And lo and behold, like she was done. I was like, that's way too high of a heart rate to not be climbing up. So I guess I actually gleaned some information of the rider that I follow the closest uh, of this. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't Keller have more been the dangler? Because I mean, once Puck got yeah. dropped, Puck got dropped. Like it was, it was yeah, just like, Keller yeah, she done. Yeah. <laughs> But a new a new role a new role for Puck to be a, be a dangler versus being a, a topper. I like it, Bill. I like it. <laughs> so so, but talking about you, you bring up a good point with like Keller and Terpster. I thought for a while there, especially once that group got formed, it was almost like like Terpstra and Keller were reminding the two French competitors that there were two other people in the group like they kind of were had you know blinders on and were only looking at each other and you know i think it was like keller first was like that's fine if you all are just going to stare at each other i'm going to go out front and she led for a little while and then terpster i thought just just a heck of an effort to, to get up there and be like all right well I, I got good skills here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the front here and and, and go for a while and and I, I, I that was kind of fun it, but I, I think, and, and you kind of brought this up before we started recording, Zach, it, 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 it seemed inevitable that we were going to come down to, to just PFP and Luana eventually. And then from there, it sort of seemed inevitable as well. Yeah, that was the discussion. I mean, I will throw it out there as a, as a point. I said that it was the, one of the least, the most anticlimactic races that was decided in the last lap that I've seen. I just, you know what LeCompte can do on the climbs. PFP, to her credit, was like following her wheel. Like there were small gaps and she was always the one. Um, but yeah, she just sank like a stone once she she popped. Um, but Bill, you made a good point. Like, are we seeing, like what's going on with LeCompte? Because, you know, in 2021, she was like unbeatable. Last year, she only had two races that she won. Are we seeing a different rider? Are we seeing people catch up to her? You know, what's what's the narrative? What's the narrative on Luana Lecompte and how should we f- feel about her? Because uh, she was a bit of like, we're kind of bored with her in 2021. 
Yeah, I, I think her having some. She she got injured though, right? Uh, yeah, was it ribs? She did she did something where she she got hurt and was down for a while. And I I think you, you know from a marketing standpoint that that we're all talking about her now. I, it was the best thing that could have happened to her because now she just seems like oh look at this great comeback story. She's back to where we saw her before. Now if she goes out and wins the rest of the races. We may have a different take on this, but at least for now, it was kind of cool for her to come back to a place where she had success and really just I mean dictate that race. I mean she she kind of owned that race the whole time. Never was she in trouble. Yeah, I felt like she could have attacked harder at any point. Like she was just like, I'm going to turn up the, you know, rev it a little, create little gaps or whatever. Like I just felt like she could have turned it on. It just felt that way that maybe she could have attacked earlier if she wanted to, or maybe she could. That's my question is like, could she have attacked mid race and rode away or did she have to wait and make a tactical move like a little bit more of a KG veteran kind of play? Yeah, or is she. You know, maybe even if she's able to attack earlier and stick it and stay away, does she know that part of her weakness last year was racing in a group and that she needs to get better at racing in a group? Uh, and and I think, you know, Sunday was evidence that she was good at it and that she could figure out how to do that. Because I think last year there were times where she really struggled with that if she was on somebody's wheel. And I mean, I think, you know, kind of goes back to that rock feature that like, if somebody in front of you messes it up, it messes you up. How do you learn to react to that? And I think that was something that was so impressive about Puck at Nova Mesto is having that intuition, probably from cyclocross where mess ups are very common. Uh, and, and that, you know, maybe there's part of this that's Loana understanding that that was a skill to train. I also, I mean, I think it was adorable in her post-race interview. She said that she was having bad emotions and then had a pep talk from Yolanda Neff that convinced her to have fun. Um, like, that's adorable um, and great. And and I think, you know, I think another piece of, you know, her sort of breakthrough dominant season um, was that she, it was like there was almost this sort of sense of bewilderment that she was like winning by so much every week and and like kind of like deer in the headlights about it all. And it feels like she's kind of maybe finding her sea legs a little bit at what it means to be at the level that she's at, coming back, finding her place within it all. Um, but I do think also... You know, she came into that killer season at a time that was difficult for a lot of other riders. Um, you know, she comes in in the, like, post-COVID season. Like, that's a weird time for a lot of people. And so I don't know that that's, like, necessarily the best representation of, a like, who was where and, and what. Um, everything was a little bit weird then, which is not to discount that she was – an incredible racer with incredible performances. But I think sort of Bill, to your point about like, is everybody else leveling up or is she leveling down? It's like, maybe things have just sort of evened out a little bit. Yeah. And, and well, and to that point, I think if, if she's hanging out with uh, Yolanda, then it, it certainly shows. Cause I think if there was any ding on her before it was maybe her technical skills weren't at the same level, especially descending skills. And that's where people were catching back up on her. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think she, in that, in that front group, she was 
you know, her and Pauline, but I think she was, she was, may have been the fastest one in, in those tech sections and looked really smooth on, on most of them. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of not fair to look at somebody who's such a good climber and then be like, damn it, you're also a really good descender now. <laughs> Can I bring a cyclocross thing? I'm going to bring a cyclocross thing here. Uh, this was my favorite bit that Bill did last year. So I'm going to just homage to Bill. I'm going to ask both of you, Bill, Elizabeth, who is the best female mountain biker in the world right now? Man, this is going to be such a more interesting question on the men's side. But uh, um, I don't know. I mean, just from third, third, and, and I, I, I don't know, recency bias. I think it's, I, I, I think you have to go with Luana. I mean, she did not do poorly in the first race and just kind of dominated here. And yeah. I'm having a, I'm, I'm having a hard time disagreeing or, or coming up with a counter argument. Aside from the fact that I feel like I, it's too close to call right now. I'm not ready to proclaim a winner yet. I want like at least one more race of data. That's how I Between feel. Who, so are you, are you throwing? So it, let me get this straight now. Uh, who who is competing with? Is this Puck that's competing with her? No, I think okay. my other contenders are Evie, uh, who I think I don't know if Lenzerheide was a maybe a B race in comparison, but who did so well in core and would have, I think, won Nova Mesto had it not been for her mechanical. Um, so I'm curious to see how she does. And it's not like she did poorly in Lenzerheide. Um, I think PFP is a solid contender. And then my dark horse is Keller for different reasons. Um, but I, to cut from this extremely difficult question to the finish Keller's finishing sprint out of absolutely nowhere to come around Pauline and take second was unreal levels of impressive and awesome and if we want to talk about riders and sizes and Luca Schwartzbauer being bigger than his competitors Alessandra Keller same thing she's like a lot bigger than Luana LeCompte and Pauline Ferrand-Prevost and just had a powerful sprint at the finish. And that was amazing. After yo-yoing off of the top three for like three laps. And this um, was, this was kind of like, in the tank. this was kind amazing. of like her big coming out last year too, right? She finished on yep. the podium. It was at home, uh, Swiss yeah. soil. Uh, so cool Took to see. Took the overall last year. Like, so this is why I, I'm just... I need more data. <laughs> I will say this is the only time this is ever going to happen. Thanks to the, uh, the Instagram algorithm. Uh, Cause Elizabeth, this is your bag of like knowing what's going on, but I'm pretty sure Evie crashed uh, either in training or midweek. And so she was injured. Uh, and I think yeah. that she was really frustrated by that. So I give her a pass, I think. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think that the jury's out for me. It's just, it seems like, I thought it'd be an interesting question because the women's field is so dynamic. And I think it's interesting too, because mountain biking is like, rarely do you win every race. Rarely are you good from start to finish in the world cup season. It's just a different beast than, than cyclocross where like somehow you could just race every weekend and somehow win, you know, a lot of riders the best to win every weekend. So I just want to bring it back. Cause I think it'll be an interesting question, but I kind of tend towards the uh, incomplete data approach that elizabeth took but i also 
think Bill made a strong argument as well. So I'm going to keep doing Bill it for being willing to, to do I'll, I'll it. go, I'll go scratch. <laughs> I, I don't mind. Um, so, uh, we got to get on to this men's race. We're almost an hour into this, so we need to we need to talk about spend some time on that. I just uh, my, I guess my finishing note on the women's race. Uh, if we're looking at the the top five and who's strong there, I think by the end of the season, if not next week, we're going to be looking at Mona um, mm. Mona Mitterwalner because oh boy, did she uh, make up some ground in that race and uh, maybe. Um, maybe worth watching. You know, she already mm-hmm. told us she was going to be at the top of these races. So I think it's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah. And the Dutch women bringing it. Yeah, still, still, still getting those points. Yep. Getting in the top 20 this this week. 16th place. Uh, yeah. Uh, Saline still, still struggling down there. Um, also notable Haley, not the, not the, weekend she wanted so i think i think um we we should not write off Haley batten yet i think she's still gonna if she gets a clean race in there she's gonna be right up there yeah. all right zach let's talk about nino scherter sure i want to i want to set the stage for this and i also want to i think elizabeth will have a good perspective on this having been at probably the biggest disappointment of this journey uh for nino scherter so it was kind of like I like storylines, and so I was kind of setting the stage. You know, if you don't subscribe to the bulletin, surprise, surprise, this is the race that I wrote about this week. Um, but so he he came within one of the record in a two week span in July of 2019. Uh, he won two in a back to back, which I think pulled him within one. 2020, like Elizabeth said, it was the weird the weird year. Like everyone responded differently. Nino, we're like, oh man, is this guy done? This is this is bad. Like he was bad. Like he was just um, he was finishing fifth, but like it was like bad by his standards. You're like, uh oh, not good. Comes back first race at Alpstadt in 2021. We're back racing. Victor Koretsky beats him in the last lap. You're just like, all right, that was that was the chance to tie. Happened again at Lenzerheide. So at Lenzerheide, he lost by two seconds to Victor Koretsky. Finally does it at Petropolis, and then. Lenser Haida <laughs> last year. So there's just been this disappointment, but I, we talked a little bit, the, the disappointment, you know, in that, that venue, I'm sure was like palpable. Like that was supposed to be the, that was the perfect script. It was Matthias Flukiger. It was him. The two of them were going to battle, you know, for the win. It was like, you could not, you know, I talked about, you couldn't, th- those moments build that you script in sports, they rarely happen. This was like, you know, the miracle on ice, the U.S. winning at home, like a battle between the two Swiss nemesi and then just poof. Yeah, it was. And, and because it was in not even the last half lap, like the last less than a quarter of a lap, it looks like we are going to have a sprint finish between these two. And then they just don't come out of the woods. And then suddenly here come Luca Brido and Alan Hatherley. And everybody's just kind of like, what? Like the crowd goes quiet, which when you're talking about 60,000 fans with the biggest cowbell cowbells on earth is spooky. And... Yeah, I was standing up near the Big White Rock on a hill, so I actually catch Nino and and Flicky coming through that part, which is about, 
you know, two thirds of the way through the lap on the last lap. I catch them going through and then I'm like, I'm I'm not going to make it to the finish from here, but I have a long lens and I'll be able to catch it, the finish line from up here. And, you know, we're watching on a broadcast on one of the big screens and watching the finish line and then it's the wrong people. And the the quietness of the crowd was it was spooky and the place emptied out so fast. And when I turned in my photo bib, you know, I was just like still hyped on the whole experience. Like I've had the best weekend. I got photo access today. I interviewed Puck. Like I'm like living. I am having a great day. And I turn in my bib and, you know, the 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 media person is like, you know, thanks me. And, and I'm just on cloud and I'm like, hey, you know, thank you so much. This was a great experience. And she's like, yeah, well, not for the Swiss. Uh, and like was just kind of, I mean, and they were expecting, you know, like they're expecting to have a huge party to make a lot of money selling a lot more beer and food. And the place just emptied out. Um, so, you know. I live in Philadelphia. I'm used to big disappointments in sports. <laughs> uh, it's the same feeling. It was the same feeling as the Eagles losing the Super Bowl this year. It's just like, damn, this this place is just sad now. Um, so, yeah. It is wild to experience <laughs> that when a crowd – I Bill was there at Bowensa Worlds uh, when Wout got – there, there was this moment, you know, Wout and Machu were racing and Wout – kind of gets dropped and he comes back mid race and everyone's like, ah, going crazy. And then, you know, Vanderpool does this thing on the off camber. And when, when the announcer was like, oh, and Wout is now down 10 seconds. The, it was a, obviously all Belgies at this race and just the energy just completely sucked out of this crowd. And I, it was in a, like a feeling that I still remember, you know, it, I'm sure you had a similar thing where you like, you feel the energy just go out of an outside venue and it's insane. It's, it's an experience that's really hard to do. I mean, unless you're like a sports fan who's had your heart broken. So, so, you know, like at like an event like that. So it's just a wild feeling and it's cool to hear you describe that. Cause I remember exactly what that was like being in that position at worlds in 2019. I have a question for you all because I don't know how to phrase this. Who who do you think Nino Scherter's first thank you card was to after winning? Frishy. Frishy, okay. Zach. I was going to jokingly say Tom Pitcock, but... No, it's not a joke. That's who I was going to say. Thank you. Was he mentioned once on the broadcast? They did not bring up Tom Pitcock's name once on that whole broadcast. It's like not a mountain biker, I guess, even though he's born to do it. Maybe he won this race last week. Maybe he's the most dominant mountain biker in the world right now. But we're just going to pretend he doesn't exist. So, Bill, I was going to ask you if this record needs an asterisk. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I just think that, look, it would have it still could. I am not discounting anything, Nino, greatest mountain biker ever, but I'm just like the strongest, arguably the strongest guy in the world right now was not at this race. So 
it, that does not take anything away from it. I just thought it was funny that it wasn't even brought up. Like it wasn't even a storyline the whole week. Well, it's such a weird dynamic because Pitcock is just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to race when I want. I'll try to do worlds. Might end up as the world champ, but it just seems like mountain biking has kind of had this history. That's why Vanderpool was so interesting and novel when he came on, like you do the scene, you do the circuit, you don't, it's not cyclocross. You don't just bounce in and race. Like, you're you know you're like in for the season, uh, and so it's just he's such a weird thing. Like, how do you talk about him? He probably is the best mountain bike racer right now, at least until Vanderpool comes back. Who knows if you know he said he's going to race world? So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's just a weird thing because you're like, yeah, Nino's the best of the guys that probably still the best of the guys who does it, but. Pitcock just kind of races when he wants, when he wants. Yeah. I mean, Pitcock is wearing number one in the Tour de Suisse right now. So he's in Switzerland. He's hanging out, doing something arguably considerably more prestigious in some ways. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not arguable, debatable. But yeah, I I mean, I think so. I've been watching the um, race tapes on uh, Red Bull. Red Bull still producing some content about their athletes. Um, but the takes that some of the other people in that series have about Tom Pidcock uh, and then, you know, the interviews with him himself are undeniably like, this dude is so ridiculously good. And there you know it's it's interesting because there's this dynamic of like who's who has to train harder who has to work harder and you know they're interviewing other mountain bikers who are like 100% Tom Pidcock trains way harder than we do uh and it is harder to do what they're doing on the the day to day than what we're doing uh, and there's mutual respect, but there's definitely this. And I think, you know, there's also within mountain biking, there's this feel feeling that like the XCO people are, you know, really serious and go to bed early and, and no fun. And the downhillers are all the fun crowd. Um, not like they aren't also training super hard and super seriously. But I think, you know, in this sort of sliding scale of things like, yeah, Pidcock is on a different level because he's doing different things and balancing different goals. And um, my earnest answer is definitely outmatched by your much more realistic one that he should have thanked Tom Pidcock. I mean, you're right. I, I, I didn't know where this was going and that was just, it's hard not to notice uh, that he wasn't there. Uh, but so in the race, like, I, I mean, you talk about LeCompte controlling the race. Like, Nino just totally bossed the front of this race from the start. It was just like, I don't know. It was He seemed like a man on a mission. I mean, I think it's worth noting that uh, Flukager crashed in training this week and his hand was in a splint. And I thought he gave a really good effort because it seemed like he was not doing super great the way the, the race ended. And so kudos to him for going out. But I don't know, there was that one moment, right? Like when they get the gap and it's like, Oh, this would be incredible. This would just be sublime, you know, like Flukager gutting it out against Scherter. And then we got, yeah, we got a super cut of Luca Brido just crashing and trying to get back on his bike. And we missed the, the, the winning move. Yeah. Here, even, even backing it up. some is sort of on my, my same, uh, semi hater theme, uh, which I'm really not I'm just trying to like paint the picture here in the past. Well, if we go all the way back, you know, you talk about Absalon, the guy that whose record he 
beat. That was Zach. That was the Wout Machu matchup that you were watching week after week. It was only those two guys and like who was going to win, you know, Julian or Nino. That was it. And, and then, you know, that, uh, Nino outlasted him and he kept going and he kept winning. And then guys like Vanderpool showed up and were beating him. And then he outlasted him and he kept going. And if we look at last season, the people that he was racing with who were giving him a hard time, uh, Andre Sink, you know, Vlad Daskalou, all, all of these guys who are at the front aren't there anymore. And he, he kind of outlasted them too. And now he, once again, is the strongest one in there. And it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, that's, that's the thing that is just like undeniable about Nino Scherter is like people come and go and you're like, Nino's not as good as these people. And then they just, they just fade and he's still there. He's the Frank Sabaka of mountain bikers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the, you know, you put up the list of, of the record holders at the end. They put up a graphic of like, who are the top 10 with the most wins? And you have Absalon and you have now Scherter at the top. And then everybody else, I mean, the third guy is a, now like renowned doper um belgian guy i forget his name but uh and then i mean it's like nobody within the last decades like we have it is going to be a very long time slash maybe never that this record falls if you get more people like tom pidcock who are multidisciplinary at this point you may not ever have someone who is able to hold that level of dominance for that long of time. Like, because it's it goes from, you know, 34, 33, 16 or something like that wins. And then, like, the rest are, like, in the, you know, around a dozen. So, it's a, I mean, that's, like, whole seasons of no one else winning. Yeah, it seems like if it seems like if the record falls at this point, it's probably going to be a woman who does it. I I was thinking mm-hmm. that too. Like, when does this get broken? I mean, and we've seen, you know, Bill, you're talking about the the riders who have come and gone. I just, it's hard to pinpoint the next generation of riders. You know, it's hard to say three years from now who's going to be on the scene at least. Who's going to be the top guys? Do you know? I don't know. I. It, it's just, it seems like there's a lot in flux and there's no one who's really kind of like had an upward trajectory where you're like, you know, this person is the future or whatever. It just seems like it's going to be a, from a, if you like intrigue and uncertainty about who's going to win, like there's going to be a lot of that in, in the coming years. Yeah. I think there are a few guys that are in the young ranks and coming up that I think are going to be contenders. I think Vital Albin is certainly one of them. I do think Martin Vidaura is going to be one of them um, based on his performance in the U23s. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think you're right that it's going to be a few years before we figure out who that is and who's sticking with it. Here's, here's my question, Elizabeth, and, and I, I, this may be wrong. Uh, it seems like for years in, Mountain biking, but also, you know, we saw it in cyclocross. We saw it in road racing. On the men's side, 
kids could come in here and just like control. Like you could get these 21-year-old, 22-year-old athletes come in there and just do amazing right off the bat. It seems like that youth movement and, and uh, on the women's side is it, it seemed like kind of the the conventional wisdom was like older athletes are going to have more success because and you know a lot of the times and this is just what I kind of wonder it was because it was harder for them to concentrate on that career earlier to have that be able to to become an elite athlete just because the resources were there the salaries weren't there all that kind of stuff but I feel like that switch now and we're getting all of these younger riders now on the women's side that are just like just crushing and that those tables have sort of turned. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I don't know why it hasn't been the same on the men's side or continued to be the same on the men's side. I think I can more easily articulate or point to reasons why that's happening on the women's side, um, you know, which I think, you know, you laid out well, but I think a lot of the, the support and development for younger women has improved considerably. Um, and and on top of that, you had the, you know, Gunrita Dallaflesha and Sabina Spitzes of the world who were much like Absalon and Scherter, like racing into their 40s and absolutely crushing it until retirement. Um, and so I think, you know, you had and, and you had like, like that the first sort of young generation on the women's side was when Yolanda Neff moved up. Um, and and I think, you know, that that in and of itself was a step on the men's side. I think, you know, you do have some of these multidiscipline athletes and, and things like that. But I think the, you know, things have have scattered a bit there. I don't know. You know, who knows if those some of those changes like far be it for me to complain about this, but you've they've changed the structure like the UCI teams need to have women on them now. And maybe that's caused some teams to figure like maybe we should invest in this. I don't know. Seems like a no brainer to do that. I think it, there was an interesting comment in during some of the U23 coverage as well that was saying that now that there's actually broadcast coverage of the U23s, that maybe that will cause some teams to pay a little bit more attention to U23 racers because it's extra airtime um, for the sponsors. Um, you know, you look at the the selection of kits in the U23 field, and it's a whole bunch of different stuff. Like, it's not big factory teams. Like, there are some, but it's not anywhere near the same way that the front of the elite fields look. And I think, you know, if, there, if that is a, a shift that this move to the World Series and, and Discovery Plus or whatever, if that means more development for some of those U23 riders, I think that, you know, that's a net positive that we get out of all this. Yeah. And we should give some credit here to, to, to Blevins uh, at 25, so the youngest uh, down there uh, in 12th place, who uh, could have been, had that top 10 until the last did. quarter lap. Yeah. Uh, so, so disappointing, but a uh, great race regardless. Um, do we want to talk about any of this racing or should we just, uh, kind of like talk about the, the outcome of it, Zach? I mean, I tried to talk, to bring it up, but yeah, I think this was a more interesting discussion. I actually appreciated, uh, Bill, the direction that you steered it in. I mean, he won, <laughs> it was a coronation it quickly became a coronation, which is cool. Um, you know, uh, it was cool. Set the record at home. I, I looked it up like. 
He's from like it's like an hour drive from his hometown to Lenzerheide. It's like his. It's home not course. even. It's okay. like it's so close. Okay. Um, parts of the course are named after him. Um, like there's a there's a part a section of the course called Nino's Gold because I mean he won the gold there, but also because it's this this is his home trails, and I think you know you see evidence of that in a couple of places on the course. The man knows the course real well. I mean, the important is the the post race interview. Words were yeah, said. Was, Words that's, were that's, said that's, that, that need to be discussed. <laughs> that is where I was kind of going towards towards next because I think it's and and I was when he was saying it, I was like, "Did I miss something? Is this is this just news that I wasn't aware of?" But Elizabeth, what did he do? Well, I'm not sure if he announced his retirement. Uh, it's certainly, it certainly that this was the last time he was racing at Lenzerheide certainly has a finality to sure it. Sure does. I mean, if you look at the schedule, it does look like we are not going to be at Lenzerheide necessarily for the next couple of years. Okay. So interesting. Maybe interesting. there's a little bit of, of, of nebulousness around that. And maybe he's saying like, well, I'm not going to be racing in two more years or three years, whatever it is. However, it seemed a bit of a, um, I mean, well, it seemed like burying the lead. Uh, it seemed like, you know, he went into the season kind of saying like, I'm, you know, I don't see retirement happening. I'm having fun. I know he's had some changes in his personal life as well. He's a newly single man. Um, maybe, you know. Wasn't seeing that, but I wondered if, like, does the, you know, monkey on the back of not having broken the record keep him going? And the minute he checks that off the list, particularly at home, this becomes his sort of, you know, <laughs> lame duck session, swan song, whatever you want to call it, that he's just kind of cruising. And if, you know, he doesn't feel like doing it anymore, he stops at any time. Or if he actually has a deliberate plan to retire at the end of the season or or some point beyond. He's still the world champion. I could see him defending that world championship quite easily if he wanted to. But um, that was it, it, I, it. Like I paused the feed and was like, is he? Re Wait a minute. <laughs> Go back. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> is this an, this is this this is this wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> And and no follow up question from that no. too. Just just like let it go, and there it was. So my theory is the retirement tour next year, as Elizabeth said, uh, Swiss. I don't remember the venue. There's a Swiss host for Worlds in 2025. Therefore, they must host a World Cup. It's kind of the rule that you host a World Cup before you host Worlds. So they're out. Uh, but I went to their website because uh, I was like is this a retirement announcement? And I was, you know, looking at their website. Uh, I was actually trying to find a profile of the course, which the new World Cup of or World Series of Cycling can't be bothered to do, which was kind of a bummer, like, uh, you know, a profile of what the course looks like. Digression aside, they said they want to be back in 2025. My, I said this when I wrote, I think it seems like with 2024 being an Olympic year, it seems like the most likely outcome is a retirement tour. Uh, that's just a real, but... Elizabeth, I like the relief. I think 
you know, that's kind of why I, I set it up when I wrote my story of just talking about the four year four years being within one race of the record and then trying to get the record. It just must have like it must have been bothering him quite a bit. And you know, Father Time stands undefeated. He was running out of time to to set the record. And like you can't tie the record and not break it. Like you can't be that close. Like that would just be tragic. So Well, and there's nothing else on the checklist now, right? Like Right. He's won more overall titles. He's won now more individual World Cup races. He's won the Olympics. He's won many world championships. He's won, I'm sure, many Swiss national championships. Like, he could go for short track worlds, but it's not really his thing. It'll be interesting to see what the bike looks like because he's definitely not shy about uh, showing off his um, accomplishments on his bike frame. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Scott has in store for him. The 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 one thing other than Nino, I think worth mentioning, uh, breakout race for Alan Hatherley uh, and just kind of, you know, was possibly the dangler in, in the men's race, you know, did really well, was up there, but looked like he was not the strongest of the group going for second place. Uh, he came over the, the rock and, you know, he's not with, uh, Saru and, uh, Griot. And, um, that's, I think one of those disappointment moments in our production that we talked about before understand you want to catch this, this historic moment, but you figure you still have cameras rolling back there and just no replay. All we saw was uh Hatherley crossing the line in second and, you know, man, I really want to know where he passed them and what it looked like. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, he was very little engine that could in that. I think there were a lot of people who were sort of like the guest star in the front group. And, you know, and thinking about like Hatherley is, you know, a surprise second place in Lenzerheide last year and then is kind of a surprise second place this year as well. Like, which is, you know, which is great. Like, I think there's been there was a lot of, of, of hype and promise around him that I think people felt maybe was not being lived up to. And I think this was another point in evidence that um, some of that is warranted, that he's, you know, pretty consistent and able to ride a consistent enough race to finish well, particularly if there are mishaps ahead of him. That that and the other, I think, notable point uh, moment for me, at least uh, in this race, was Sam Gaze just, like, pushing himself... I think a couple laps beyond his capabilities, which was just so amazing to watch. I mean, the guy had such a charge, was up there, took the lead at one point, and then it was just lights out. But I, I just, yeah, it's, it, I think that he, if he stays healthy and he stays, you know, has that right mindset and motivated, it may, we may see a lot more of Sam Gaze at the, at the front of these races coming up. Yeah. And speaking of people who always show up in the last lap, um, Valero Serrano, again, the fifth place finish, nowhere in the storyline until the end of the race. And then there he is. wonder how he would do in marathon. <laughs> yeah, he definitely takes a while to get going. Yeah. All right, Zach, any, any, any closing thoughts here? No. Are you guys going to talk about downhill? Yeah, let's quickly uh, cover some some downhill action. So here, here's my God. I, I I feel like we've been pretty pretty negative on this, but uh, we did do some concern trolling last week or two weeks ago about um, 
just what a great job. And again, a lot of this is that Red Bull set the bar so high, but one of the things they did is just the, the, the graphical analytics that they had for downhill were amazing. And it just like, it made the race so much fun to watch because you had these overlays of where the person racing was compared to the person, you know, who was leading and you could see right where they were. You had the, um, sort of F1 look of this is a green section for them. This is where they're really strong. You know, just the, of the course, this is where they're falling behind, not just the, the numbers. And it was, it was a lot of fun to, to watch. We don't get any of that anymore. And it's, None it's of that. kind of a bummer for the broadcast. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, they, used their branded colors for the graphics. And so it kept looking like the person was in the green, meaning ahead. And that was just the time of the person whose run it was. And so that was additionally super confusing if – I mean, if you've paid attention to any sports where you're looking at somebody being in the green versus somebody being in the red, like – just switch to the blue in your color package or something like you have other colors in your brand like don't use that one um, because it actually means something it's a signifier in this discipline and so I found like I kept being very confused and being like oh, he's up he's up he's up or like wow she's up I'm like no actually no no and then there's like it's almost unreadable I'm like I don't know I, I don't have a big big screen television and like I'm 40. I can't see these graphics. They're too small. Like, I don't know. I I was very grumpy about that. But um, but I think, you know, it's, it's all of that aside, like it is important for the storytelling, right? And and part of this was developing, you know, the key section of the course. Like this is a technical section or this is the speed trap or like some of that storytelling. I mean, a downhill run, especially at a course like Lenzerheide, is three minutes long. Like, it's not long. We do not get tape-to-tape coverage because that's impossible in downhill. And so you have to fill in the story. And graphics are an important part of that, um, especially when your commentators are also just kind of yelling um, and not really helping the story along necessarily. All that said. Yes. Speaking of records... Rachel Atherton got her 40th World Cup downhill win in Lenzerheide after being out having a baby, coming back for like one or two races. She was at Lenzerheide last year, did a race run just kind of for funsies, like oh, maybe I'll dip my toe in it. I think smartly to stay within the, the World Cup standings so that she could start um, this year. But my God, what a beautiful run. I mean, she looked so good. She is, you know, far and away. I'm sorry, like, sure, 34 World Cup cross-country Olympic wins for Nina Scherter, big deal. 40 downhill wins is, like, the stakes are so high in trying to win a downhill race. Um, There is no margin for error. There is no recovering from error It is absolutely remarkable. Uh, And, you know, to be fair, the the level of the other women racers has changed significantly since Rachel was winning full seasons. Like, she didn't have a lot of competition then. She does now. But, man, this was great. And 
seeing how much it meant not just to her but to her competitors, like how stoked they were for her. Um, I mean, it is a big deal uh, for her to take that win. I got a little annoyed that they just kept calling her the fastest mom in the world. It's like, say it once. It's fine. Yeah. It is a huge deal. Very significant, but also in her own right, absolutely incredible best women's downhill racer of all time. Like, unreal. Yeah, and, you know, wasn't even close in this race. Led every split. There wasn't even any any drama too but it's also it is a sport i mean you're absolutely right those the, the the significance of that it's kind of like being a running back in the nfl you don't have a long career in downhill and she has had significant injuries from this and she she actually talked about it afterwards in that she you know i think probably getting a lot of pressure even from her family owned business which is the atherton bikes to continue to race downhill after this performance and she's she's pushing back on that she's like i'm not doing it i'm picking and choosing the the courses that that suit me and that i want to race you know she and she's she's earned that she's earned that ability to not have to be on tour anymore you know i mean she's i know the mom thing was overstated but she did say i'm able to train now my kid's two years old i took two years you know and and now you know she can take a nap and I can go out there and train. So th- th- that, that type of, of possibilities are, are there. And it just looked like, I think that if you looked at Rachel when she was racing, I think she got bored with it. I think she got tired with it. It was just, I think she had a lot of pressure to win every weekend and was, and I think she was kind of burnt out. So it's kind of fun to see her back and come back at this level where I just want to have fun. Also, I'm going to win the gold in this race. It was, uh, it was super cool. It was super cool. Um, I And I was glad that, you know, one of the other things I was not stoked about was that the hot seat in downhill is kind of a big thing. You know, you have your three people sitting there in the hot seat waiting for all the the, the other runs to come down. They're all like big hugs, big vibes, because like you've almost killed yourself going down a hill no matter how good your run is. Like it's a very high risk sport. And so that atmosphere uh, in the finish area is really special. Um, they kind of moved it up onto a stage, like pretty far removed from the ground. And by the time Rachel came down, they were all just like, nah, screw this. Like, we're going down there. Like, we are going down to hug her. So uh, I was, you know, happy to see that. That was like my biggest, <laughs> biggest bummer of the weekend was that uh, of all of the production things. But um, yeah, it was it, it was emotional. I definitely definitely got a little weepy seeing that win. Um, and then on the men's side, yeah, just insane. Yeah, before we get to that, um, really quickly, just because there's a cyclocross uh, tie in here, Harriet Hardin out oh, there yeah. racing downhill, ninth place, just yeah, amazing, yeah, doing I great. That, I hope she continues with it because she she could be she could be a force in there. But yeah. But with Harnden and with Atherton, let's just stay in the uh, British Isles. And holy crap! What the hell happened in this men's race? Wow. Okay. So the big story in men's downhill, uh, I, I I thought, I think most people thought was that Jackson Goldstone, young Canadian, uh, kid who is like famous. I just recently learned for being like the kid who rode his strider to school doing all these adventures as like a tiny little tyke. Like he's that kid. I didn't realize he was that kid who was like became internet famous. Um, for doing tricks on his strider on the way to school. Anyway, incredible, like totally dominant in the juniors field, 
is doing some of the like wild ass urban downhill races in South America this spring is just nuts good on the bike. Um, and first year elite moves up. And the guy who was second to him all the time in the juniors upsets not only his teammate, Finn Isles, but also Loic Bruni and Just, Jackson Goldstone and takes the win. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Jordan Williams. Robert Jordan the Williams. First race. First race in the elites. First ever race in the elites and and takes the win. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, that was like with Loic coming down there and again if we had better graphic it would be more exciting but he was beating him he was beating him over half of the course and then just you know one little mistake and that's all it that's all it took and then uh, Williams was was back up there and just and 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 you you talk about the hot seat it's really great because they are all friends and they all this is like I, they want to win, but at the same time, it's just like it's a different vibe to it. It's just like, oh, you you killed that, you know. You just, you know, there's no like nobody's upset about it. the faces on the hot seat from after he did his run. We're just like, what the hell was that? Yeah. I mean, just like shock, and then. When all of these big names kept coming down, like Laurie comes down, doesn't beat him. You know, Loris Vergier comes down, doesn't beat him. And then people are just, and he, like, there's just this realization that, holy crap, I may actually do, well, I'm on the podium, one. Right. And then even from there, it was just, like, insane. Yeah, just just absolutely insane. And, and going back to your uh, your comment about them moving the hot seat, yeah, that's that's such an integral part of it and, and should be inside that that lower bowl but you know talking about them coming out there and just like screw it we're going to be on there that's my favorite thing about downhill especially just from the media side that i never i never covered it but i would go there and just watch um and when you are covering a cross-country race zach you know this when you are covering a world cup cyclocross race like you go where you're told, and if you move, there are consequences. I, I, there, there could be physical consequences to you moving out of where you're supposed to be at a finish line in a World Cup cyclocross or cross-country race. The media for the downhill, it is like the inmates running the asylum – they can't control them. Like the, they have all of these barriers up that they're supposed to stay behind. The race ends, and it's like they are just like storming the castle over the top of the barriers on there, right in the guy's face. Like you always see this. You like see them hugging photographers and stuff. They're not supposed to be there. Like, but they can't hold them back. And it's just it's the funniest and just like one of my favorite things to watch. It's just like chaos, completely uncontrolled, and you're like, well. That's just downhill. That's kind of just, just the beauty of it. Yeah. So it was great stuff. Great stuff. Excited to see the rest of the season, even if I will potentially mute the coverage. Well, all we can hope, all we can hope is that it just gets better every week from here. And we have a we have another one this week. We'll be back next we'll be week. Back. I mean, we got Leo Leo Gang this weekend, so that'll that'll be a really interesting one. That's a that's another fun course. Did we do it? We did it. All right. I think we did it. Uh, Thanks, guys. Uh, We'll see you all uh, next week.